Welcome to the Cultivate Podcast, where we explore what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Spiritual Warfare. Ephesians 6 is famous for the passage on spiritual warfare. We've read it, prayed it, studied it, and listened to messages about it. It's a passage we know well, and yet I can't help wondering if we're so familiar with the passage, we might make a few assumptions. Maybe assumptions are a bit too strong a word, but I think at least it's worth asking a couple of simple questions. One, is this passage primarily about spiritual armour? And two, is Paul referring to a Roman soldier's armour? And if not, does it really matter? The first one, is this passage primarily about spiritual armour? The idea of spiritual armour is a theme across Paul's letters. From his first epistle he wrote, First Thessalonians, around 52 AD, he writes in First Thessalonians 5.8, But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armour of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. And then a few years later, he wrote to the Roman church, seen in Romans 13, 12, The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armour of right living. And then a few years later, he writes this passage to the church in Ephesus. (coughs) Verse 10 begins with a clear instruction to be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. That is the instruction. The armour is the strategy. The armour is not the goal, but is the tool we use to achieve the goal. Armour is a strategy, a very, very good one, but still a strategy, not the goal. The goal is being strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Paul uses the word in dynamosith, A verb meaning to be strong and to endure with strength. In verse 10, the root word dynamos is the word from which we get dynamite. And then in verses 11, 13 and 14, Paul uses the word histemi, a Greek word meaning to stand, establish, set in place. In verse 18, the word alert is used meaning awake, watchful, or careful. And persistent is priscaterio, meaning to consistently doing something with intense effort. The passage starts with the instruction to be strong, tells us three times to stand, and finally to be alert with intense effort. So if this passage is about spiritual warfare and starts with us being told to be strong in his mighty power, reminds us to stand firm three times and ends with praying in a watchful and enduring effort. I'm seeing a theme here. I'm not suggesting for a moment the passage isn't about spiritual warfare, but I think the passage is about being strong and standing firm, and spiritual warfare is how we stand strong. Does it really matter? I think it does a little. The reason we do things is often key. For example, I love the way Jesus does spiritual warfare. In Luke chapter 9, verse 42, it says, 
But Jesus rebuked the evil spirit and healed the boy. Then he gave him back to his father. I've heard people talk about spiritual warfare as taking territory, winning against the enemy, exercising power. But what I love is that Jesus used it to restore a child to their father. Isn't that our mission? Isn't that the goal always of spiritual warfare? To see people restored to the father. If our goal is not to see people restored to the father, why are we doing that? When Paul identifies the armour, was he referring to a Roman soldier? I don't think Paul was referring to a Roman soldier for four reasons. One, Roman soldiers, unlike ceremonial uniforms, used chainmail at the time of Paul's letter, not breastplates, although there still would have been some in circulation. Two, the Roman soldiers were unlikely to be wearing full battle armour, guarding Paul, Three, the armour does not mention a key element of a soldier's armour. And yet Paul was very clear that he used every piece of the armour, but it was without a pillar or a spear, an essential part of a Roman soldier's weaponry. And four, I don't think that Paul was referring to a soldier's armour because he says God's armour in verse 11 and makes it very clear the armour belongs to God. And being a Jew... I think he was very familiar with God's armour, as mentioned in the Old Testament. For example, in Isaiah 11.5, we see the belt of truth. He will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. In Isaiah 59.17, we see the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. He put on righteousness as his body armour, and placed the helmet of salvation on his head. He clothed himself with a robe of vengeance and wrapped himself in a cloak of divine passion. We see the the shoes for sharing the gospel in Isaiah 52.7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news, the good news of peace and salvation, the news that the God of Israel reigns. And then the shield of faith in Psalm 119.14. You are my refuge and my shield. Your word is my source of hope. We see the sword of God in Isaiah 49.2. He made my words of judgment as sharp as a sword. He has hidden me in the shadow of his hand like a sharp arrow in his quiver. We see the same thing coming out in Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. And then in Isaiah 65.24, we see praying in the spirit. I will answer them before they even call to me. While they are still talking about their needs, I will go ahead and answer their prayers. So whether Paul is referencing the Old Testament or modelling off a Roman soldier, does it really matter? Perhaps not, but I think there is some value in perspective. I don't want to try and force what might not be a good fit, but I see who the armour belongs to as being really important, because that determines how we treat it. 
It's often thought of as the Yankees being the most successful sports team ever. They had an incredible season. But the truth is that in 100 years of competing, they've only got a record at a win rate of 5.7. The most successful sports team of the last 100 years, according to research, is the New Zealand All Blacks, who for 100 years have had a winning percentage of over 77%. And for a four-year period, they maintained a winning percentage of 94.44%. So that was against other nations. What the reasons that they were so successful was how they treated their uniform. So when a player became an All Black, they were given a beautifully bound volume of all the players that had come before them and all the jerseys that they had worn and the different teams because they were told what they wore matters. It wasn't simply that they wore a uniform, but they wore on their backs the hope of a nation. They represented their country. So that when an All Black got changed in the changing rooms, the jersey was never to touch the ground, not because it was sacred, but because it was about respect how they wore that uniform, how they wore that, and how they behaved on the field determined how they would be seen as an all-black. To them, what they wore mattered, and it had a profound influence on the way they played. I continually hear people referring to putting on their armour, and I get exactly what they mean. However, Paul is clear it's God's armour. If I was to put on my armour... I'm more at risk of relying on my own skill and religious formula rather than asking God to be my sufficiency. I'm too quick with plan B and not God's plan A. My confidence is in God, not the armour. If I think the armour is mine, I'm more likely to rely on spiritualising it and what it means rather than trusting in God. The armour needs to be used as a whole. It's an all-or-nothing kind of thing, and of course, prayer in verse 18 is not an afterthought. It is the key. Being the best-equipped soldier isn't useful if you are not listening to your commander's orders. Being the best-equipped soldier isn't useful if we are not listening to our commander's orders. But a soldier wore more than armour. A soldier didn't put on armour over their bare skin. They wore a tunic under it. We don't start by just putting the armour onto our skin. It's what we wear underneath it that is at least as important. I want you to listen to what it says in Colossians 3, 12-14. Since God chose you to be holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. We start by wearing love. That is the foundation for everything that comes. Truth is the second part of the equipment that a soldier puts on. 
It kept the tunic from getting in the way of the armour and meant the soldier was able to move freely without restrictions. Sometimes love needs truth. The lessons from the armour are almost endless and I don't want to bore you, but I want you to consider two things. Whether I'm right or wrong is irrelevant, but I think the questions are worth asking. Do I see the armour as a goal or a strategy? Am I wearing love under my armour? May God bless you richly as you continue to stay strong in his mighty power. Stand firm in his purpose and watchful and determined in prayer. Thank you for joining the Cultivate podcast. If we can help you with anything or you'd like some notes, please email us at crosscultivation at gmail.com. God bless.